Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 19. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for the wonderful grace that you extend to us each day. Lord, we look to you this day again to help us to abide in you to rest and trust in you, and not to do your work, but to let you work through us, so you will be glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's read our text together. Let's begin in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were also concerned before, but you lack the opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry and both in having abundance and suffering. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel and after I left Macedonia, no one shared with me in the matter of giving or receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek a gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases your account. But I have received everything in full, and have abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, and well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory of Jesus Christ. Today I've titled the message, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. One dictionary describes contentment as the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. Today it's rare that we would find anyone who is truly content with his or her condition in life. The Bible has so much to say about contentment, being satisfied with what we have and who we are and where we're going. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Contentment. In contentment in our passage, the word means to be content, to be happy, to be satisfied, to be self-sufficient, to be completely detached from circumstances. I'd like to share an illustration that might illustrate that point well. There's a story told of a farmer who lived in the same farm all his life. It was, as, it was a good farm, but with the passing of years, 
the farmer began to tire of it. He longed for change, for something better, and every day he looked for a new reason for criticizing some feature of the old place. Finally, he decided to sell and list the farm with a real estate broker who promptly prepared a sales advertisement. As one might expect, he emphasized all the farm's advantages. The ideal location, modern equipment, healthy stock, acres of fertile ground, and etc. Before placing the ad in the newspaper, the realtor called the farmer and read the copy to him for his approval. And when he had finished, the farmer cried out, Hold everything. I've changed my mind. I'm not going to sell. I've been looking for a place like that all my life. See, he really had everything he wanted, but he didn't even know it. Well, let me share another one. I'd like to share this story, this one of a a Quaker who offered his property to anyone who considered himself contented. When a man came to claim the lot, he was asked, If you're contented, why do you want my lot? You know, contentment is very uncommon, and even more so today than ever before. What I'm going to focus on in this text is really Paul's contentment, Paul's peace, Paul's resting and trusting in God's provision and providence. In fact, a contented person is confident in God's the providence, the providence of God. Look back at verse 10 in our text. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What I want to point to here first is that Paul rejoices. And notice where the rejoicing is in the Lord greatly, because he's assured of the providence of God. He looks at the Philippians. He looks at the gift. He knew their concern and constant concern. But they lacked that opportunity. Well, what's all that about? The idea is that these Philippians were in deep poverty themselves. They lacked the opportunity because they lacked the money. But their concern never changed. Paul was so moved by these people who had nothing, but yet their hearts were united. They would partner with him whenever they had that opportunity. When he talks about them again, at last you're being revived or blooming again. He sees that God is working in them and he rejoices. And it's not the gift that's so important. He's rejoicing over the giver the joy, their love, and a desire to be a part of them and be there with them. And Paul's confident that God will provide. He was not going to rest in their giving, but his rest, as we're going to see, is in the Lord. And it is for you and me that it's him that we lean upon. It's him that we trust in. 
that we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us because apart from him, we can do nothing. Like the, like again in John 15, when it talks about the vine, we draw from the source and the source is Jesus Christ. Well, a contented person is satisfied with little. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. See, Paul's stressing in the context that his contentment didn't increase or decrease based upon any material provision. No, Paul's contentment was completely reliant upon Christ, who held Paul fast and sustained him through each and every situation. Paul's joy comes from their thought about him. And he, they use in, the, in our passage today the word concern and concerned twice in this one passage, but there's eight times the word is used in one form or other right here in the book. Concerned. Think for a moment. Who's been concerned about you? Been there whenever they could be. When we stop and think about, we are wealthy. Just as Israel is the apple of God's eye, you are the apple of God's eye. Well, the next thing I want to call your attention to is, is the thought that counts not only to Paul, but also it's reflective the the, the Philippians' spiritual health. They're growing. They're maturing. Love is that mark of a Christian, and it's the love that is motivating to reach out to Paul and provide. So Paul expresses his joy that they're blooming again, as I mentioned, or, or growing in fact, that same word would be used in the Septuagint in Psalm 27, 7. My flesh flourishes. And that's what the King James uses. The word flourishes or blooms anew. He sees them as something brand new again and exciting to see the joy on their face. He can just see their love just lavishing them. And it's the love of God reaching him. Now, Paul is going to convey that he understands their struggles in competing the desire to, to give to him, he knows what they're going through. He knows the Philippians repeatedly thought about him, as I mentioned earlier, with a great concern, but had been foiled in their response because they just didn't have it to give. We don't know for sure if that's the exact and only reason Maybe it was the distance, some would say, but I believe it was the inability to deliver the funds or even have the funds. But the love and our prayers never stopped. Well, I want to focus again on Paul just for a second. I, I like what John Phillips says about Paul in this case. He says, when Paul was chained to a particular inpatient and unsympathetic Roman soldier, Paul was content. And when he and his friends were on their way to Jerusalem to deliver a generous gift from the Gentile converts to, on the mission field, Paul was content. When he was preaching to the scholars in the intellectual capital of the world, Paul was content. And when he was leading a runaway slave to, to Christ, Paul was content. 
And when he was preaching to a king, Paul was content. And when he was writing his theological masterpiece, Paul was content. And when he was waiting to appear before the court, that he could even have a sentence that would bring about death, Paul was content. See, it didn't matter the circumstances that surround him. Paul lived a life of contentment. In fact, I'd like to remind you of Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you'll prove what the will of God is, and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. First, Paul wasn't being conformed to the world. Certainly, his mind was being renewed in Christ Jesus. And he was proving the will of God because he's right in the middle of the will. And the will was good and acceptable and perfect because Paul was being made perfect. No matter what those circumstances is, his contentment was in Christ Jesus. Well, look at verse 11 again. Not that I speak from want. Paul wasn't rejoicing over the amount of the gift but it was their thoughtfulness more than the money. Think about that at Christmas time when your kids were little and, 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 and they would open the package and they'd tear it open and they'd come up and, thank you, Mommy, thank you, Daddy. They know where the gift comes from. And for you and me, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But sometimes something happens when people get old. It's all of a sudden, it's the gift. It's the material. It's the junk that we have. No. Paul was grateful for the givers more than any gift. Just to know that somebody cares. He knew that God could multiply whatever he needed. God could provide whatever he needed but it was that someone cared. Each of us have had those people in our life that have maybe sat with us during the most difficult time and gave their time, gave their love. We've had people that have given and provided for us, but the fact is that they were there. They were a part of us. They were concerned about what we were going through. That's what Paul was content with. Paul realized how much he really had in Christ Jesus. But oftentimes we're like that farmer who had that wonderful farm, was always looking for something more, something on the other side of the hill. It's greener on that other side of the hill. Until he was about to lose it, he didn't realize what he had. Until he stood on the outside reading what was said on that ad, and realized that he did have everything. Well, Paul had to learn, and that's what he did. He learned to live above his circumstances by going through the good and the difficult circumstances. Now, he says three descriptive things that he knew how to live in need, to live humbly, to live with little, and how it feels with plenty, to live with plenty and prosperity. He learned in both of those situations. Also, he said he knew the secret of facing every situation, whether it be full 
or even going hungry. And then finally, in that point, he knew how to live well-fed. He says the plenty, how to live, live in want. Paul, what Paul had learned was God's grace is sufficient. He didn't learn it in one area of life, but again and again and again, and he applies it to every circumstance. Second Corinthians 12, 9 reminds us that, that again, he, he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in him. Paul desired the power of grace. He knew it was that power, it was Christ himself, that would enable him to do whatever he's called to do, to go through whatever situation he was going to go through, whether it be plenty or or little, that God would sustain him, God would keep him, God would motivate him. What do you think that you need in order to be content? Do you need more stuff? Or do you have everything you need in the body of Christ, in Christ, in your family? That's where the rubber meets the road. God has given us everything that we need. All we need to do is step outside that circle and look in and see what God is doing. See, our contentment should not come from the circumstances, but recognizing what God has allowed for you and me to go through, that God is at work and God will provide each and every one of our needs. See, a contented person is independent from those circumstances. He's on the outside in a sense. Verse 12 points that out. I know how to get along in those humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. In a sense, Paul went through the school of poverty, the school of prosperity, through All that Paul went through, he learned that contentment was the result of an inner sufficiency that that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. That means he knew that the Spirit indwelled him. It was the Spirit that comforted him. It was the Spirit that gave hope to him. It was the Spirit that gave him illumination and understanding to see. And all he needed to do is submit to God, to rest in God, to trust in Him. Now, Paul's writing this to a culture that was a Hellenistic culture, and contentment was the highest of Greek qualities. To the Greeks, it meant that you were sufficient in yourself, as I read that from the dictionary. But our sufficiency is really in Christ. See, that's what the Christians did. They adapt the word to mean the sufficiency in Christ. See, contentment grows from our attitude toward God and living a life in his way and according to his word. See, contentment comes with maturity. 
And when you see a person that is content, you see a mature person. See, Paul's abundance that he would talk about was meager. It was simple by modern standards. Artisans were better off than the poor, but far below the standard of living enjoyed in our modern Western middle class. Paul knew, and he wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, 37, but in all these things were overwhelming conquerors through him who loved us. See, Paul's focus was always on Christ. He was always Christ-centered. That's the key to contentment, seen through the eyes of Christ. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. This is not something that you would normally hear American persons say. These are things that are mocked and laughed at. But Paul's contentment was in Christ and in knowing Christ and knowing that God would keep him, sustain him, and provide for him whatever he needed. A contented person is strengthened by divine power. Look at verse 13 again. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The phrase, who strengthens me, literally means who empowers me. He knew it was Christ that was empowering him. Our ability to do what God desires comes not from our own ability or creativity or even spirituality, but from his enabling power. The ability of Christ knows simply no inability. He is able to do whatever he sets out to do. That's why Paul could say in so many places, to the ignorant, Christ gives wisdom. To the fearful, he gives courage. And to the proud, he says, he gives humility. To the sick and hurting, Jesus gives healing. To the poor, he provides their needs. To the addict or the captive, our Lord is the rescuer and the deliverer. And to the sinner, he provides forgiveness and he provides cleansing. See, Paul's life, his message was always Christ-centered, and it reflected in this letter. In fact, in chapter 1, we saw to, to live is really Christ. To live is Christ. Chapter 2, it, the focus was, let this mind be in you as it is in Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 3, we saw, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And now in chapter 4, as we're seeing, I can do all things through Christ. Paul was content because he was Christ-centered. His focus was upon Christ day in, day out, in each and every circumstance. He, he stood on the outside in a sense of a situation. He looked to see what Christ wanted him to see. Well, a contented person is preoccupied with the, the well-being of others. Look at verse 14. We see that point. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. 
I love Matthew 25, 23 and the words that I cleave to. It says this, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful with few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. See the Philippians? They're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But it was Christ that enabled them. It was Christ that worked in their hearts and put Paul on their heart. And it was Christ that provided exactly what they needed to sin and when they needed to send it. What was interesting is Paul's burdens became their burdens. They were partners in Paul's ministry. The Philippian church made themselves fellow heirs with Paul in the responsibility of, of spreading the gospel. They, they were co-workers in this. While they weren't there, they were praying and they were there in prayer. When they had finances and God provided for them, they would give. Like the widow with the mind, they gave sometimes maybe even their all. I love 1 Corinthians 12, 26. It says, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice in it. You know from your own family, when your kids were young, and maybe they had the flu and they were throwing up and, and you'd give anything to take that from them if they didn't have to go through it. You felt, you felt what they were going through. You felt the sorrow. And that's exactly what the Philippians did. And that's what moved Paul so much. That was the giver's heart. And it helped produce contentment in his life. Let me share another illustration with you. David Livingston went to Africa. And a Scotch woman who saved 30 pounds, came and presented to him this gift. And she said, I want you to save yourself needless toil and exposure by hiring a servant who will go with you wherever you go and share your sacrifices and dangers. And with this offering, David Livingston hired a faithful servant and even a friend. And later, Livingston's journals, when he was in the heart of Africa, a lion attacked Livingston and he threw him down and crushed the bones in his left arm. But his friend, his companion, his servant, at the risk of his own life, saved the missionary. Just think, what would have happened if that Scottish woman had never given that love offering to Livingston? Many would have never heard the gospel how many will not hear the gospel today? Because we could even neglect the gift of giving. Now, why Paul, his sufficiency was in Christ and God had provided and he trusted in, in, in the providence. The Philippians shared in that work. They wanted to be a part of that work. They wanted to take the pressure off of Paul's. Here, we give this to you. We stand with you. And Paul was blessed. He had much to be thankful for. And contentment, to me, one of the ways I see it is when you're content, you have so much to be thankful for. But sometimes we're so busy counting our bummers instead of our blessings. Look in verse 15. 
You yourselves also know, Philippians, that from the first the preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Paul recognizes their commitment to him, their companionship in him, their love for the work and for Paul personally, and this makes it special. He says, I know, and he's encouraging them, and and he's thanking them, and he also recognizes this is in the Lord. This is the Lord's work. We'll talk a little more in a second. But notice Philippians 1.5. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, they never stopped caring. You know, one of the most simple things that you and I can do is when we know somebody is going through a difficult time, stop, lay a hand upon them, pray and Lift them up into the heavenlies. Lift them up to the throne of the Lord. Love them. And let that love of God flow through. Sometimes it will be, as we see in our text here, in verse 15, it will be a matter of giving and receiving. In fact, Paul uses those three business terms, and the words matter of refers to account. When they gave, this was being accredited to them. God is writing down. God is keeping track of it. They're becoming faithful stewards is what he's really talking about. The giving and receiving is expenditures and receipts. And Paul was a faithful steward of God's resources, but they were too because everything they had was God's and they would give when God gave that extra and God put it in their heart to give, they would give. Just as Paul kept the careful records of what he received and spent, I'm sure the Philippians were. And they were aware of his needs and they would provide for those needs. And in verse 16, it says, For even in Thessalonica, he sent a gift more than once for my needs. Paul was in Thessalonica. There's a little debate on it. It's either three weeks or three months. We do not know for sure. But in that short period of time, they sent two gifts. As difficult as it may have been to bring money together because of their their deep poverty, they sacrificed that they might provide, that they might share, that they might be co-workers in a sense with Paul. Their concern for Paul followed them wherever he went. Their hearts, their prayers were with them. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but is seek for profit which increases to your account. Paul is going to stand with you and me at judgment seat of Christ. And one of the great joys for Paul will be, as it will be for you and me as we see others, is to, to hear the Philippians receive that good and faithful servant to see them become everything that God would have them be, just as a father, as a mother would have their child go further than they've ever gone before. Paul longs for that. Paul is reminding him the best is yet to come. But this is what's important. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 13, for this reason, 
We also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accept it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Flip, the Philippians were truly born again. Paul recognizes the maturity, just as the, the Thessalonians accepted the word of God as it truly was, and it was working in their hearts. He saw it in the Philippians. He saw God at work, and he was experiencing that from because God put the desire. God provided. God gave the opportunity. And Paul was blessed as a father would be over a child. Again, the Philippians were poor, but they gave out of their deep poverty. What we so often call adversity, God calls opportunity. Because when we have little, and we recognize we have little, we have much. Because God will show us how to deal with each situation. As Christians, when we face, we face opportunities almost every day to serve the Lord, but we lack concern in taking advantage of those opportunities sometimes because we say we can't, we won't, we make excuses. God always has a way of raising people up to meet our needs. And that's what's so amazing. When we can't, and sometimes we're saying we won't, God will raise someone else up. God will put it on their heart. They will become obedient. And God will use so often the person or, or group that we'd least expect to meet the needs of those others. We should be like the, the little servant Samuel says, here I am. Use me. Open and willing to be and do whatever God calls us to do. As you remain faithful to God and willing to share what he has given to you, you will meet the needs of others. God will also meet your needs, material and physical and spiritual, as you turn them over to him. See, the whole person involves in taking care of those material needs and those physical needs and those emotional needs and, and certainly the most important, the spiritual needs. Verse 17 says this, but I seek for profit which increases to your account. See, Paul's referring here, I believe, to the, the Bema seat. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will be recompensed for his deeds in his body according to what he has done or whether good or bad. Paul knows that everyone that is the believer here will stand before that judgment seat of Christ. That is where you and I, when we're faithful, will hear those words, good and faithful servant. Now, I'd like to read Philippians Chapter 4, verse 18, 19. I'm going to, for these verses, I'm going to read a different translation. It's, it's called the Phillips New Testament translation. And it says, now I have everything I want. 
In fact, I'm rich. Yes, I'm quite content, thanks to your gifts received through Epaphroditus. Your generosity is like a lovely fragrance, a sacrifice that's pleasing the very heart of God. And my God will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches and resources in Christ Jesus. And may the glory be to our God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. I want to comment on the last point. May the glory be to God and our Father forever and ever. For it is God who is at working in them. See, God's at work in you if you're a believer today. God's wanting to do a, a fresh and new work. I'd like to share another illustration today. George Mueller, a man of faith, trusted the Lord entirely. This famous Christian who had wanted his orphan homes in Bristol, England to be a tangible testimony to the unbelieving world that God was alive and well and still very much in business. To achieve this goal, he refused to make any need known to anyone but God. Mueller would not accept a financial gift from a person he knew to be in debt. Such a donation was always courteous, but firmly refused. Another one of his principles was to give a full accounting of what he did with all the money he received. Therefore, he developed the habit of circulating an annual statement called the Chronicle of the Lord's Dealings with George Mueller. Because of this, the annual statement, which listed every gift, might be misconstrued as a, a subtle way of hinting for support for the work entrusted to him. Mueller never released the Chronicle to the public until there were more than ample funds in the bank. Never was there an issue published when the funds were low. Likewise, Paul was full. And when he wrote to the Philippians and Papadius had it delivered the gift, now he had plenty. He had need of no more. Paul was content. Now that idea of, of fragrance, a soothing aroma, comes from Exodus twenty nine eighteen when when a, a sacrifice was offered unto the Lord. And likewise, where that was a sacrifice of an animal that would be slayed, God is not looking for a dead sacrifice. Paul talks about a living sacrifice. Peter talks about us as being living stones. When people look at us, they look at our lives, they recognize there must be a God. See, Paul chose also never to be a victim of his circumstances. He learned by experience that secret of peace. I can do all things through Christ who energizes me empowers him. His reliance was never upon man or a gift coming in. His reliance was upon God. And it was because his reliance upon God, Paul was content in any and every circumstance. This is one of the greatest gifts that is ours through our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's contentment. 
We have a God who has endless resources and will be used to meet our needs. We do not need to manipulate people, take advantage of people. While it's not wrong to make the needs known, Mueller chose not to, it's not wrong. But we do not manipulate people. For it is God who will work in the heart of the person. It's God who will provide through love. And when those resources come in, those needs are met. It's a loving God working through the loving vessels. And that's what you and I get to be, God's loving vessels. Well, we see the giving of finances woven all through here. It's not as much about the finances, as it is about the contentment in God. We have a great God who will provide all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you for all that you've ever provided. Thank you for opening up our minds and our hearts to know Jesus Christ. You gave the greatest gift, and we can never outgive you. You gave yourself your own son because you loved us. God, we want to walk in your ways. We do not want to become victims of circumstances. We want to be lives that are a blessing and encouragement to you first and those around us. We pray that as we live this life, that the world will recognize there is a loving God who will provide their needs as well as they come to you. And that greatest need is the need of salvation in knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.